welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Hello there, hello there, and welcome to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. I am your host, Paul Samico. I'm an attorney in Virginia and Maryland for 40 years. As I'm going to tell you, anytime you listen, I always, always, always want you to avoid the downs and savor the ups in everything in your life and not just on the legal side of things. I want to get right to it today, and I'm going to change up the normal of my process in talking to you today on this podcast. I normally have part one and part two, where in part one, I talk about some cases, and in part two, I give you the results of those cases and a little advice and a little analysis of what the law was in the cases that we're talking about. Today, I want to talk about something which is extremely important in our country, It is the law of protest, the law of demonstration, the law of your rights and the police and what they can do. So the first half of this show today, and I'm going to share with you, it might be a little longer than normal 25, 30, 35 minutes that I would normally expect this show to take because there's so much here involved and it's so important that anybody that is in any way, shape or form involved in this or even concerned about this should listen in. I want to talk about, to begin with, some cases and tell you what happened, and then I want to go in the second half and tell you about your rights and what you can and cannot do, what you should be concerned about, what the police can and cannot do. So let's just hit it. I want to share with you that, by the way, I've looked this up. The protests as a result of George Floyd being killed, uh, the protesters across the world ended up being between 15 and 26 million people that participated in protests. The next highest after that was in 2017, a woman's march where there were only 3.3 to 5.6 million individuals counted as being involved in protesting. Nationwide, recently, people have arrested more than 10,000 people at protests over what clearly is systemic racism and police brutality. And according to a tally, uh, this tally was made by the Associated Press, most people were arrested for curfew violations and failing to disperse. Many have been charged with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. Now, getting arrested on some of those charges can come with a significant cost. Bail, fines, booking fees, attorney's fees, court fees. Uh, These costs can add up very quickly. It varies widely, case to case, city by city. Uh, But a simple protest can get somebody anywhere between $10,000 to $12,000 just to resolve it favorably, where they walk out having completed perhaps community service if they were convicted, uh, and they don't leave anything then even uh, 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 even a mark on their permanent record. But being involved and being arrested can be costly. I want to share the story of a gentleman 
by the name of D'Angelo Sandridge. You know, protesters get arrested all the time, and Sandridge thought to himself, no big deal, um, you know, it, it might happen to me. Uh, okay, they're going to hold me maybe for 24 hours and they'll release me. That's what he was thinking. No lingering effects. Well, not so much, unfortunately, for Mr. Sandridge. He was one of thousands of people arrested at protests around the country um, claiming uh, and, and alleging absolutely systemic racism, police brutality, and appropriately the killing of George Floyd. Uh, for him, there's going to be, unfortunately, significant lingering effects as a result of his arrest. He was on the way to protest uh, in downtown Indianapolis in early June, uh, right around the curfew, when the police told him to stop. He ran. He was caught and he was arrested for violating curfew and for resisting arrest by flight. He was held for more than 24 hours, and during that time he missed an orientation for his new job. So he's thinking to himself, oh, oh my goodness, am I going to be able to keep that job? He wasn't able to communicate with them, so it looked uh, to him as if maybe um, uh, they might have been thinking that he was negligent or just didn't care about the new job. Sandridge is 23 years old, and he had just moved to Indianapolis uh, February this year. He didn't know how his new employers were going to react. When he was finally released, the police gave him back, uh, excuse me, when he was released, the police did not give him back any of his things. I think that's a violation between you and me. They didn't give him his wallet with his bank cards. They didn't give him his ID. They didn't give him his phone. They didn't give him his house keys or his car keys. Instead, the police claim they kept them as evidence and sent them to a property room. So he had no access to money. He was effectively homeless because he didn't have the key to his house. And he effectively had no car because they wouldn't give him the car key back. This was still several days after his arrest. It took about a week for him to finally get his stuff back. He was stressed, as you can imagine, scared about how much all this was going to cost him and what the long-term effects were going to be. Now, it's good to know that many attorneys across the country are representing protesters pro bono for free to help reduce some of the financial burden that they might come up with after being arrested. Interestingly and, and wonderfully, uh, bail bonds groups are also providing money to get protesters out of jail. In some cities like Indianapolis and Los Angeles, they're now saying they won't prosecute peaceful protesters, uh, those arrested for things like curfew violations or failure to disperse, uh, after this, of course, public outcry about these things. But even for those who are not charged, just having the arrest on their record certainly can have a very significant impact on their life. People could lose their jobs, and they have. Uh, they can lose their house by an inability to pay because they have to pay bail, or they could even lose public housing. So now, uh, Sandridge, arrest on his record for the first time, prosecutor there filed charges resisting arrest, and there's a hearing scheduled for early August. Until it's resolved, it's going to show on his criminal background record check. I feel bad for this guy. You know, if I was in Indianapolis and I practiced uh, criminal law, I'd be representing him for free, and I'm sure you'll be happy to know that he is being represented for free. I want to go back to July, just a couple weeks ago, uh, sitting on the grass uh, in front of the, on the front lawn of the Kentucky Attorney General's home 
Daniel Cameron's front lawn. Dozens of peaceful protesters were chanting uh, about the Breonna Taylor situation. Breonna Taylor, say her name. Breonna Taylor, say her name. The activists had come to demand the Attorney General, uh, Attorney Cameron, who is coincidentally the state's first black Attorney General, uh, they wanted him to charge the three police officers who fatally shot Taylor uh, inside her home, you may remember the facts of this, while executing a no-knock warrant in March. So Cameron, the attorney general in his home there, asked the police to remove the protesters from his property. 87 uh, demonstrators, protesters, refused to leave. So the cops arrested them, restraining them uh, with those zip ties and escorting them to police vehicles to be taken to jail. Each one of them was charged with a felony and two misdemeanors. According to uh, the authorities, due to their refusal to leave the property and their attempts to influence the decision of the attorney general with their actions, each person was charged with intimidating a participant in a legal process. Oh my God. These individuals also face disorderly conduct and trespassing charges, both misdemeanors. If convicted, these protesters could face a prison sentence of between one and five years, according to Kentucky's sentencing guidelines. The ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union of Kentucky, of course denounced the felony charges against the protesters, calling them overblown, outrageous, and inappropriate. We'll find out what happens with those cases as the news develops. I want to talk about still a third case. The United States Supreme Court is going to consider a petition that pits police against a leader of the Black Lives Matter movement in a dispute over First Amendment rights of assembly, petition, and speech. The case McKesson versus Doe does not, interestingly, arise from the recent protests about George Floyd and the others. Uh, Instead, it actually goes back to a 2016 protest in Baton Rouge, Baton Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, triggered by the death of a gentleman by the name of Alton Sterling, an African-American man who was shot and killed at close range by police responding to an anonymous 911 call. Among other themes, demonstrators chanted Black Lives Matter as they protested against police conduct at that, uh, on that occasion. So during the demonstration, an unidentified police, uh, unidentified person, I should say, threw a rock and injured an unnamed Baton Rouge police officer. The officer, whose identity was kept uh, confidential, has been referred to in court papers as John Doe. So John Doe, the unidentified police officer, filed a lawsuit against Mr. McKesson. He was the Black Lives Matter movement organizer. Follow me here. This is fascinating, and it's critical that this case come out the right way. McKesson, again, was the leader of the protest, but he was not the person who injured the cop. Nonetheless, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit ruled last December that the lawsuit could proceed against McKesson. What? He didn't throw the rock. Now, this case has 
critical importance given the widespread protests that are going on following the May 25th death of George Floyd. When the Fifth Circuit ruled that the case could go forward, uh, the, of course, uh, outcries occurred across the country. ACLU National Legal Director David Cole said, and this is very important, think about this, folks, if the law allows anyone to sue leaders of social justice movements over the violent acts of others, there would have been no civil rights movement. The lower court's ruling is a threat to the First Amendment rights of millions of Americans. I couldn't agree more. The McKesson case pits the issue of whether the organizer of a lawful protest can be held personally responsible for the misconduct of one of the protesters. If that's the case, the right to protest far too easily could be stifled. The main Supreme Court precedent that lawyers for McKesson are pointing to is a case in 1982, NAACP versus Claiborne Hardware, a decision that invoked the First Amendment to protect nonviolent protesters from being sued. In that case, merchants in Claiborne County in Mississippi sued the NAACP for mounting a boycott of white-owned stores that hurt their businesses. Acts of violence occurred, and the high court said that those who were harmed with the violence by the violence could sue, but the organizer of the, uh, organizers of the protest could not be sued, the court ruled. Good ruling, of course. So when lawyers for McKesson countered the officer's lawsuit, a federal district judge sided with McKesson, citing the Claiborne case. Case went to the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which ruled against McKesson, barring finding that the First Amendment did not make him immune from being sued. Boring again. So we're going to wait to see what the Supreme Court does. I can't imagine that McKesson's claims are going to fail. It's outrageous that he should be responsible as the leader of a social protest movement for a criminal act of someone else in the group. Right now out in Portland, U.S. court officials in Oregon are reviewing bans on future protesting that were placed on some people arrested during protests in Portland after some raised concerns that the prohibitions, the bans, violated the First Amendment. The quote from the pretrial services offer, uh, officer for the U.S. District Court in Portland is, we are reviewing every case again right now and looking at the wording of some of the conditions. A lot of this should be resolved. I sure hope so. Because you do something once doesn't mean that you have to be banned uh, a second time if the first time you did nothing illegal. A few other cases that have uh, gone down in our nation's history form the background of these protest cases of today, so I want to hit these very quickly. There was a case in 1962 in South Carolina 187 black students were convicted in a magistrate's court uh, for breach of the peace 
after peacefully ex- uh, assembling at the South Carolina State Government Building. Their purpose was to submit a protest of grievances to the city citizens of South Carolina. During the course of the peaceful demonstration, the police arrested these students after they didn't obey an order to disperse. The students were all convicted of breach of the peace. So the question that went up to the court, did the arrests and convictions of the marchers and demonstrators violate their freedom of speech, assembly, and petition for grievance as protected by the First and Fourteenth Amendments to the United States Constitution? The court got it right. Yes, they were absolute violations of these individuals' right. In an eight-to-one decision by the United States Supreme Court, the court reversed the criminal convictions of these students. court said it was clear that in arresting, convicting, and punishing them under the circumstances disclosed by the record, the state infringed the students' rights, constitutionally protected, free speech, free assembly, and freedom to petition for redress of their grievances. Now, there's one more thing, which is four years ago, but it's interesting, and you just may want to put this in the back of your hat, and I hope that you never, ever, ever do this, but I just want to share it because I'm a lawyer, and I have to share with you what the rights of individuals in the United States are. Prior to now President Donald Trump being elected, uh, or I should say taking office, but after his election, uh, in one of the famous tweets that he sent out on November 16th, actually, of the year 2016, he wrote in his tweet that anyone caught burning the American flag should face consequences, including having their citizenship yanked or facing a year a year in jail. Well, President um, I think probably most of America agrees with you that there should be consequences, but the law is different. The act is considered offensive, absolutely, by many, probably by 99% of Americans. But flag burning is legal in the United States under a Supreme Court ruling over and over again, numerous rulings. It is constitutionally protected speech under the First Amendment. These are some of the cases that are country has had going back 40, 50 years and currently. I'm going to come back after the break and I'm going to give you some information that I think you might want to know if it is that you were ever involved or just interested in the demonstrations and the protests for which many Americans are involved and appropriately. Do you wear Nike shoes? Many of us do. Kind of cool, aren't they? Right. Well, okay. Uh, We're going to go to the break in just a moment, but I had to share this with you. The uh, imagination of some folks is often just beyond comprehension. A pimp, a pimp who was in prison for a hundred years after stepping and stomping on the face of a Portland, Oregon uh, prostitution customer who tried to flee uh, a motel after paying, uh, excuse me, without paying, uh, this pimp sues Nike for a hundred million dollars, claiming that his Air Jordan sneakers 
should have come with a warning that they could be used as a dangerous weapon. And nothing more needs to be said. Um, we'll talk to you after the break. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then, either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up, and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. Hope that you enjoyed the short break and that you will consider joining my Samaco Club. I'd also like to request, of course, that if you feel like you like this, to please subscribe and please give me a review. I'm at the beginning of my podcast career here, and I very much would like to have it just grow and grow and grow, and much of that is going to revolve around you, my potential listeners and my potential audience. So thanks again. I'm talking about something very serious today, and that is what I'm going to call protest law, demonstration law, police uh, involvement in the protesters' protests and demonstration. So let's just start off right at the beginning here and talk about your rights. The First Amendment to the United States Constitution protects your right to assemble and express your views through protest. Police and other government officials are allowed to place certain narrow restrictions on your exercise of these speech rights. So make sure you're prepared if you're going to be involved by brushing up on your rights, which I'm going to share with you before you head out into the streets. Generally speaking, I think there are three things that you need to consider. The first is it is more about conduct not about content. It's not what you say, it's the way you say it. Your right to express your opinion is absolutely protested, protected, excuse me, absolutely protected no matter what beliefs you hold. What matters, of course, is how you use that right. If you organize a protest that causes serious disruption, the government can intervene. 
but with a few notable exceptions, nobody can restrict your rights simply because they don't like what you're saying. The second idea is that free speech is for everyone, young or old, anarchist or evangelical, pacifist or hawk, Mormon or Muslim, white or black, Asian, Democrat, no affiliation or Republican, these rights apply to you. It does not matter whether you are a U.S. citizen, whether you're of voting age, whether you speak English, free speech rights are for everyone. Don't ever let anybody tell you different. Now, the third concept is when, where, and how. Consider when, where, and how you're going to use your free speech rights. If you organize a rally that causes violence or unnecessary disruption, your event may be disbanded. Every city, every county, every municipality has regulations, and it's your responsibility to research them and understand them. You have to observe reasonable regulations on the time, the place, and the manner when you exercise your rights to demonstrate and to protest. So what are your rights and what should you do if you're arrested? Let's start if you are attending a protest. What are your rights? Your rights are strongest in what are known as traditional public forums such as streets, sidewalks, and parks. You also likely have the right to speak out on other public property, like plazas in front of government buildings, as long as you are not blocking access to the government building or interfering with other purposes the property was designed for. What about private property? Well, private property owners can set rules for speech on their property, The government may not restrict your speech if it's taking place on your own property or with the permission or consent of the property owner. When you're lawfully present in any public space, you have the right to photograph anything in plain view. Bring your camera, including federal buildings and the police. Now, on private property, again, the owner can set rules related to photography or video. Finally, you don't need a permit to march in the streets or on sidewalks, as long as you're not obstructing car or pedestrian traffic. If you don't have a permit, police can ask you to move to the side of a street or sidewalk to let others pass or for what we'll call safety reasons. So a summary here of these things and maybe a little advice kind of concept, uh, your rights in in, in being involved in protesting. Always stay calm. Make sure that your hands are always visible. Don't argue, for goodness sakes, resist or obstruct the police, even if you believe they're violating your rights. Point out that you're not disrupting anyone's activity and that your First Amendment rights protect your actions. Ask if you're free to leave. If the officer or cop says yes, walk away calmly. If you're under arrest, you have a right to ask why. Otherwise, say you wish to remain silent and ask for a lawyer immediately. Don't say anything or sign anything without an attorney. Now, you have the right to make a local phone call, 
And if you're calling your attorney, police are not allowed to listen. You never have to consent to a search of yourself or your belongings. If you do consent, it can affect you later in court. Police can pat you down, your clothing, if they suspect you have a weapon, and they may search you after an arrest. And police officers may not confiscate or demand to view photos or video without a warrant. They can't delete data under any circumstances. They can, however, order citizens to cease activities that are interfering with legitimate law enforcement operations. You've heard the Miranda rights before. I'm going to share a couple with you very quickly so you don't forget. You have the right to remain silent. Use it. You must give your name and address, but you don't have to say anything else. And you have the right to an attorney. Ask for an attorney. Don't discuss your case with the police without consulting an attorney. So where do these First Amendment rights and protections end? Is anything considered speech protected? Is all speech protected? So the First Amendment protects your right to express your opinion, even if it's unpopular, uh, unpopular, unpopular, even if others don't like it. You can criticize the president, the Congress, or the chief of police without fear of retaliation. But this right does not extend to libel, slander, obscenity, things that we are going to call true threats, or speech that incites imminent violence or lawbreaking. So if you grab a megaphone during a riot and yell, shoot the cop or loot the store, you can reasonably expect some trouble and handcuffs. What if other people violently uh, react to what you say? All right, well, that's them. You can't be held responsible for the way that counter demonstrators, for example, or uh, your own supporters react, as long as your words don't directly incite violence or lawbreaking. It's the responsibility of the police to control the crowd. Now, let's go past just speaking and, you know, chanting and what have you. How much noise can you make? Well, the answer is going to vary from city to city, but a general concept applies. You can use amplification devices as long as your intent is to communicate your message, not to disturb the police. Again, I would caution check local rules and regulations. You may not need a permit to use a bullhorn or a megaphone. Okay, so you're there peacefully and lo and behold, you're being arrested. So what should you expect if you're arrested at a protest? It depends on what you're being arrested for. Generally, depending upon where you are, there might be one of, there might be three or maybe only two different types of offenses. Some jurisdictions do not have what might be labeled infractions, but an infraction is something like jaywalking or failing to yield to traffic in the street. Most other places will absolutely have offenses titled misdemeanors or felonies. So a misdemeanor might be obstructing an officer or disturbing the peace. A felony might be something uh, such as assaulting an officer, freeing a prisoner, or vandalism causing more than a set amount of damage. And different states will have different amounts. So in one place, 
damage, if it's $400 or more, it could be a felony. In another place, it might be that it's $1,000 or more. Many people arrested at protests are never charged and are released without going to court. If you aren't ever charged, you haven't technically been arrested. The police department should issue you a certificate saying you were merely detained. Now, whether that ever happens or not, probably go figure it's not going to, but make the request. What can you be charged with? Even if you view your expressive activity as lawful, there's a chance the police will regard it as over the line. So whether you're planning to engage in civil disobedience or not, or lawful protest, lawful demonstration, you should be familiar with statutes that most often are invoked against demonstrators, things that you can be charged with, resisting arrest or delaying a peace officer, disrupting a public meeting, riot, unlawful assembly, failure to disperse, disturbing the peace, trespassing. I want to conclude with a couple of a couple of concepts about what limits police have. So when can the police break up a protest or demonstration? The police, of course, are charged with safeguarding the public during a demonstration, but they can't use their powers to stop you from exercising your free speech rights. As long as you're observing reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions, the police can't break up a gathering unless there's, and this is legal language right out of, of statutes and cases, they can't break up a gathering unless there's a clear and present danger of riot, disorder, interference with traffic upon, upon the public streets, or other immediate threat to public safety. The last I want to share about police power is when can the police use force? How much force is legitimate? The police may always use reasonable force to break up a gathering or to detain or arrest a person who's violating the law. As you may guess, what is reasonable depends upon all the circumstances and apparently as well what the judge decides. This gives the police some leeway while prohibiting force that any trained officer should know is excessive. Are the police all bad? Absolutely not. Are all of those who protest, individuals who break the law and throw Molotov cocktails into stores and overturn cars? No, obviously not. Those are few and far between. There is such a thing as crowd mentality. If you're in a protest, if you're a member of a group demonstrating in a peaceful way, and you see violence, my advice to you, sir or madam, take the first train out of there. You do not want to be involved in anything even close to something that is against the law. Because if you think there's crowd mentality on the part of the crowd, there's also crowd mentality on the part of police. Police will just start grabbing everybody and charging them with everything. I extremely appreciate the movements in the United States for just causes. Black lives matter. Every life matters. Gay rights. The 
the plight of immigrants. All of these important things are being brought to the public attention now like never before. Finally, best wishes to you. Use common sense if you're going to be involved. Don't let the fear of police stop you from exercising your rights. I hope you listen in next time. I'll be excited to have you back. Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations. Thank you.